Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's HWD features a special panel discussion on the nation's home-building trends. The conversation took place during HousingWire's most recent Lunch and Learn. As the lending environment continues to shift rapidly twice a month, HousingWire features experts from lending, servicing, real estate, and compliance, fintech, and more in a panel discussion to provide a well-balanced perspective on issues central to housing and your business. In this Lunch and Learn conversation, Robert Dietz, the Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for Economics and Housing Policy for the National Association of Home Builders, Sean Ferries, the CEO of Land Gorilla, and Douglas Norman, the Vice President of Construction and Renovation Operations at OnQ Financial, discuss what factors have contributed to a national decline in home building. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. TMS helps grow business for your customers, allowing you to do what you do best, continuing to build a business with raving fans. We believe that a happy customer is a referral and a customer for life. TMS is committed to building your brand through subservicing. Learn more today at subservicing.themoneysource.com. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Alcina Lloyd. I'm HousingWire's Digital Media Manager. Welcome to our HousingWire Lunch and Learn. Today's discussion will focus on the nation's lack of housing inventory and the factors that have contributed to a decline in home building. Our panel speakers are the National Association of Home Builders Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for Economics and Housing Policy, Robert Dietz, Sean Ferries, the, uh, the CEO of Land Gorilla, and Douglas Norman, the Vice President of Construction and Renovation Operations at OnQ Financial. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Of course. So we're going to dive right into our conversation today. For many years now, the housing industry has faced a lack of supply due to several factors, including an uptick in lumber prices and more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic, which has not only impacted costs, but supply and labor. In 2021, the market is experiencing what many now call an inventory crisis. So Sean, Robert and Douglas, do you guys believe we are in a crisis? And if so, how did we get here? Yeah, uh, from the the home building perspective, we've we've had a, a number of years of underbuilding. Uh, we've kind of referred the the supply issues, which have been in place for the market for at least half a decade, as as the five L's. We we lack the labor, the the lots, the lending to builders and land developers. Uh, there's issues with lumber and materials and and legal and, and regulatory burdens. So all of that has resulted in years of underbuilding and a housing deficit of at least a million homes, maybe as many as five million homes. And so what we've seen over the last 18 months is, is just economics 101. Demand surge as a result of the COVID crisis. We have not, not enough inventory. And the result is really unsustainable growth in home prices. Yeah, you know, anytime you see uh, markets where you're getting 20 and 30 offers, uh, uh, you know that there's... Go ahead. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, sorry, Doug. I I think there's a little little delay there, but... Yeah, no, I did. I'm right in on the, the same place that you're going. You know, it doesn't take far to go outside and look at a home that just goes on the market for sale and watch the line of people go down the street. And homes lasting, you know, a week, maybe two weeks on the market. You could you could just see it uh, in your own neighborhoods. You don't have to go far to, to see that we are in a housing crisis. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I had a, I have an employee at, at work that uh, put her home on the market on a Tuesday and they just set uh, uh, appointments for four days uh, and took offers on a Sunday got uh 82 offers <laughs> and so and sold their house on 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 the monday took the best offer possible never seen anything like it ever so wow this market has definitely transformed how people are purchasing and buying homes or selling their homes um really it's a seller's market so I, I briefly mentioned COVID in my last question, and I'd like to expand on that topic a bit more. Um, as we all know, the pandemic introduced tremendous demand, uh, as we just mentioned, as mortgage rates have continued to hover near historic lows. And while homebuyers are desperate to enter the market, people looking to buy their first homes, particularly millennials, who accounted for half of all new home loans in 2019, have a limited and aging stock of houses to choose from. So how are home builders and lenders tackling this demand? And do you believe a lack of inventory will deter more millennials from entering the market? This question's a bit selfish. I'm a millennial, so really interested about this one. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to get tell a little story. I was in uh, Florida recently looking for a home myself and stopped by some home builders and and they actually were controlling the amount of building they were doing and they would they would uh, put a house on the market and say, I'm going to build this house now and then actually bid it out just like on an existing home. So, uh, you know, they were actually getting higher prices than, than, than they would even normally. And they couldn't uh, keep up with the demand if they wanted to. And that's why they did what they were doing. Uh, it's definitely going to affect millennials. Um, you know, uh, it, it's becoming very uh, difficult to get into the market. But the other factors that are going to play here is how long do interest rates stay low? Because rents are very high as well, guys. And and you know, if you go out and look for a place to rent, I know I'm just selling my home in Michigan right now, which is a $400,000 home. The client that bought my home is going to be renting it for $3,700 a month. And you know, that's a lot of rent for a $400,000 house. So rents are very high. So people have to live somewhere. So they're going to keep trying to enter the marketplace the best they can. If rates stay low, um, you know, many of them will be able to get in and there's going to be a crossroads of, you know, where rates go, where prices go, where the millennials aren't going to be able to get in. And we were talking earlier before the call that maybe instead of getting into a new home, maybe what the millennials could do is go to an aging housing market or stock in some of the other markets and utilize some of the financing that's available to purchase an older home and renovate that home rather than buying a home. Okay. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with with Doug there. It, uh, it just just because millennials have difficulty find, finding a home doesn't mean that they're going to exit the market or go back to the sidelines. And I think it's more about them finding options or alternative means to achieve that. You know, renovation spending was huge amongst millennials last year, and fifty percent, fifty six percent of millennial buyers purchased homes that required uh, renovations. And that's huge when you think about it. And that that balance between what consumers want, what homeowners want out of a out of a mortgage, you know, is is ticking up. And you know, there's been some some great surveys by some really large uh, mortgage lenders out there that have gone to their customers and asked them, you know, if, if you can bundle or if you can include a home improvement with your mortgage, would you do it? And contrary to you know popular belief, it's almost hundred percent. And that includes people purchasing a brand new home. 
that when they're going through that transaction, they want to make the home their home. And there's at least one or more improvements that they would like to include that. So the balance with you know what's happening in, in the market out there with what people actually want, what consumers want, they, they want their home. They just don't want a home, but they want their home. You know, coupled with the way that we see, you know, renovations spending just continuously ticking up. And, you know, it's a great, great outlook and uh, great information out there that's that that helps provide those those resources to them as well. So there's an educational component to that, knowing that, you know, those mortgage options are available to them is, is an important part of this recipe. Yeah, I did a seminar for realtors in Florida uh, a couple of years back, and none of them knew that the renovation money was available on houses that they sold. So there's a huge education, both to the buyers, the millennial buyers, uh, educating more lenders on how to do the renovation lending and educating realtors that it's available so that you can connect all the dots and, and people can actually utilize the programs that are available. I think it's important for local policymakers across the country, though, to keep in mind that it's the entry level construction, particularly for that that millennial buyer that represents that growing source of first time home buyers. But that entry level construction has been the most difficult to add to the market. So it's an inventory shortage, but it's one that's particularly acute down at the lower levels of the market. And the reason for that is it's just gotten more expensive to build housing. So that that small lot, smaller home that's appropriate for a first-time buyer on the new construction side has been the most challenging. And so, yeah, one of the solutions is buy an existing home and, and, and work with a remodeler. There is some good news, though. And one of the areas that we've been tracking is townhouse construction. Now, single-family attached housing is a great way to add more units on a given amount of dirt. And uh, if you look at the townhouse market, it's about 12 to 13% of overall single family home building. But in the second quarter of 2021, we had the best quarter for townhouse production uh, since the Great Recession. Uh, So there was a real nice rebound in some of these medium density, more walkable neighborhoods. And that offers a nice bridge for that millennial that's maybe moving out of an apartment that wants to move into a single family home that has a front door and ownership opportunity, but is a little more, more dense and a little bit more walkable. So communities that can provide that little higher density entry-level construction are really going to grow and win the housing race. Now, one of the things that I've left out was manufactured housing. You know, I see manufactured housing growing and it has been growing and, you know, modular housing um, and, and you know, in, in the California market where we do a lot of lending, we do a lot of manufactured housing lending and it's to keep the price down. And that's, you know, a lot of times it's millennials entering that particular market. Those prices have gone up a lot as well, but it's still less expensive to buy a modular home uh, if it's allowed in the market that they're in uh, and the development that they're in, it's still less expensive per square foot to buy a factory built uh, product than it is to build a stick built product. Right. So as we talk about the different types of housing being built, whether they're entry level or they're townhomes, um, I want to get into data and I want to focus on a report from the National Association of Home Builders and Wells Fargo. According to the duo, the index, which was published in July, engages builder sentiment on future single family home sales. It fell to its lowest level since August 2020. Uh, the organization claims this was due to rising material prices and supply, uh, supply chain shortages. Uh, Notably in July, the National Association of Realtors also reported factors 
Similar factors were contributing to a building gap of 5.5 million homes. Um, during the month at that time, sentiments expressed from both organizations were communicated to Congress in a bid to rectify the U.S. housing shortage. I'm in a testimony, the NHB CEO, Jerry Howard, appeared before Congress. He called on lawmakers to enact key policy proposals to expand housing supply, reduce the housing deficit, and improve housing affordability for all Americans. Um, he suggests three key initiatives for reform, um, for fixing the material supply chain, um, improving the low-income housing tax credit, and reformulating current home ownership tax incentives. But do you think that these initiatives will be enough from any uh, point of the market, if you're entry level or if you're a, a person that's buying a home for the second time? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I believe it will help, uh, but to what extent? You know, if you take it, take it a step further from what you said on the National Association of uh, Realtors, you know, the U.S. has to build 1.2 million homes each year for a decade. Mm-hmm. More than it built every year during the housing boom of the mid 2000s, you know, I believe uh, what Jerry Howard was 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 really doing was laying some great groundwork to make a big impact. You know, but when you look at those three three areas about improving low income housing tax tax credit, you know, that's two million multifamily units over ten years, so two hundred you know units a year on average. Uh, reformulating the home ownership tax incentive, yes, that that helps, but that really helps create more more demand. You know, with that, uh, when you, when you look at putting more buyers into the market or more incentives to help help them buy, um, you know, put, puts more people into the market. And then, material supply chain, yes, you know, definitely we're seeing a lot of a lot of pain, whether it's the Canadian lumber tariffs or labor shortages or you know just just overall materials getting into the job site are all impactful areas. You know, I'm 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 part of the finance guy on the technology side. So when we we think about that, you know, I would really have had really loved to see you know just more involvement from the FHFA providing more incentives through the GSEs and government agencies. You know, on construction and renovation lending. You know, there's there's been some some great movement. You know, Freddie Mac just announced their Choice Renovation Express. You know, which has some better guidelines in facilitating renovation lending. Uh, USDA a couple years back uh, came out with a completely innovative loan program uh, for for construction lending, you know, and that allows a mortgage lender to immediately sell that that construction loan and provide more liquidity back to them to make make more loans of that. So, you know, I would really love to see you know some some solution geared on the financing side to help accelerate it as well. Um, yeah, but I, I think we're on the right track and we're thinking about the right things, but it's a big complicated. Uh, uh, area of construction to finance and getting it all done. So uh, okay. I, would right pig- I would piggyback off on that GSC comment because, uh, you know, uh, Fannie Mae, for example, uh, allows you to take 12 months to build a home, uh, but anything over 12 months, you have to requalify the buyer before they go into the end loan. Well, it's very difficult in today's market to get houses done in 12 months. We're going over the 12 months. So they're creating risk for the buyer and the lender. And some lenders are backing out of the market, which reduces uh, the amount of construction money that's available to the market. So the GSEs need to step up and and, and understand what's truly happening happening in the marketplace today, how long it takes to build a home and, and some of the other factors and update their programs accordingly. So. Yeah, I, I think the emphasis on, on construction financing is a key one. It, it usually doesn't get as much attention as the, the labor shortage and, and the run up in, in lumber prices that we've seen. One idea that's been floating around is providing a secondary market for what we call acquisition, development, and construction loans, AD and C loans. That would help reduce the, the effective interest rate. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think it has bipartisan support. It's something that should be looked at. 
Um, and, and then the other policies you mentioned, uh, NHB CEO, Jerry Howard, who's my boss, of course. Uh, but, you know, th- those policies are, are, are broad-based, tackling the, the fact that the housing market is a ladder and all rungs of it have to work, single-family, multifamily, remodeling, rental, and, and for sale. So uh, protecting and expanding and improving the low-income housing tax credit and the tax-exempt bond program is something we're going to see a lot of policy focus on. And I think fixing the homeownership tax incentives, the mortgage interest deduction, was really substantially reduced in the 2017 tax bill to get something that's more broad-based and is not tied to itemizing your taxes. Very few taxpayers now itemize the returns would be something that would help on that affordability equation. Because keep in mind, and, and Douglas mentioned this, we, we believe interest rates are going to go up over the next few years. So when you've got 20% year-over-year growth in home prices, 23% growth year-over-year in construction costs, and higher interest rates, we have an affordability challenge in front of us. So we're going to have to work on fixing the demand side factors like the lumber market and getting a softwood lumber agreement, but making sure those demand side incentives are there so that as many people can attain home ownership as possible in the years ahead. Right. And, and so as we talk about the years ahead, I, w- I want to ask what many would consider a radical question. There are a few housing professionals who would argue there really isn't a supply issue, but instead a high number of older Americans aging in place. Um, in fact, it's speculated that this gridlock will subside when this demographic ages out of the market, creating abundance of housing inventory. But what's your stance on that theory? Do you think it's real or what do you think is going on there? So this has actually been a theory that's been around for quite a long time. I remember in the in the 90s when I was in graduate school, there was a proposal that would say, you know, home prices are going to fall 50% when all the baby boomers retire and sell their homes. So more recently, it, it's come about and been referred to as the silver tsunami, that the boomers are going to sell and they're not going to be enough buyers and we're going to see prices collapse. I don't think that's going to happen. I've, I've been skeptical of this proposal. First of all, the idea of the boomers are all going to sell at the same time is, is kind of far off. Moreover, there have been recent changes due to COVID itself. I think we're going to see more uh, you know, aging Americans remain in their homes. They're going to age in place. And that's going to you know, expand the growth in the remodeling market. We're going to have to improve the energy efficiency and, and the resiliency and, and the safety associated with the admittedly aging housing stock as we go forward. So I, I don't think that's the, the answer to our supply shortages. I think really we've got, and as I said before, we've really got the challenge at the entry level part of the market. So there's even a mismatch in that theory with the demographics. So uh, again, the housing market's a ladder. We're going to have to supply all of it uh, going forward. Uh, but I think uh, you know the aging of the U.S. population is an opportunity uh, for the home improvement sector. I would agree with that. And even if they even if they do sell their houses, uh, um, you know, they have to go somewhere else. They're going to other houses. They may be smaller houses, but the demand is still going to be there for units. And uh, and and so that's not going to go down. Yeah, you almost really need a crystal ball to, to see what culturally is going to play out over the next next de- decade. You know, you start weighing in, you know, uh, assisted care living facilities for older generations and the rising costs there. You know, it's it's really hard to tell what's what's going to happen. You know, we look, you know, I believe it's another 10 to 30 years down the road where that really starts to impact the numbers. Um, you know, for, for the next decade, it's, you know, we, we need to build. Definitely an inventory shortage. So, well, I want to discuss another theory about why we're in an inventory shortage. Um, I've heard that it might be relating to productivity. It's been reported that the home building sector has seen flat productivity, while the rest of the economy has seen uh, productivity gains year over year. So why does the home building sector defer from the rest of the economy? 
Yeah, I mean, this is part of the challenge that we see on, on the labor part of the equation that the, as a result of some of the underbuilding. If you look at the productivity stats, the overall labor force for the U.S. economy has grown 33 34% over the last 25 years, where in construction, it, it's been flat. Um, the, the challenge is we're, we're, we've gotten those gains in other parts of the sector. It's a lot of uh, technology investments, uh, kind of gathering economies of scale. That's really difficult to do in the construction industry. Now, there's some, some opportunities, and I do think we're going to see some, some changes. We mentioned modular and panelized construction earlier. Uh, but the challenge is, keep in mind, there are about 50,000 home building companies about 100,000 remodeling companies, and they're all over the place. So capturing economies of scale is difficult to do in a really decentralized market. The best way that we can get growth on the labor side of residential construction is getting an impact in terms of the workforce. And that means training them, providing additional capitalization at the work site, that will raise wages and then help recruit additional individuals into the sector. So um, you mentioned technology a bit, so I want to focus on this as well, too. A few years ago, a study from management consulting for McKenzie, uh, for McKenzie and Company found that construction is one of the least digitized sectors in the entire world. That being said, there have been many suggestions to improve home building and the financing that supports it, including automating for efficiency, utilization of 3D printing, and block renovations. Um, while some companies already implemented these procedures and processes, do you believe larger adoption of these tech updates could improve home building overall? Yeah, you know, it's, it's important to note in that same study by McKinsey and company that, you know, not only was construction one of the least digitized, you know, but of the list of all the industries that were, that were published, construction was rated number two, second from the bottom right above uh, agricultural and hunting, right? And when you think about that, you know, and, and shockingly enough, finances is not that far off from where construction is. You know, so, you know, when you, when you look at the opportunity for improvement, there's, there's tons of green space and there are lots of room for improvement. But, you know, when you start taking a look at where all the inefficiencies are in home building, and today we see, you know, problematic issues with the lack of digit digitization, you know, where owners and contractors, you know, often work from different versions of documentation, be it the plans, be it budgets, payment application forms, you know, the use of paper makes it difficult to capture and analyze data. You know, that matters because analytics leads to better, you know, outcomes, whether it's risk management, whether it's profitability, efficiency, but the mismanaged paper trails are constantly at the root of disagreements between owners and contractors, you know, especially on matters of construction progress, you know, which we see a lot, Doug, you know, I know you see that one a lot, yep. but being change orders, you know, payment in general, you know, the bottom line is that these you know, paper processes simply take take more time and companies, you know, I believe companies that embrace these technologies and new technologies, you know, will ultimately be better at home building in general as, as we see them evolve. And I, I do think we have to be careful that there's sometimes there's a little bit of exaggeration going on with some of the benefits that can be reaped from, for example, let's let's talk construction technologies, modular construction and, and panelized. So modular is building most of the home in a factory and then finishing the work at the work site. Panelized construction is where the frames of the home are built in the factory and then assembled. So we kind of have 3D construction versus kind of 2D construction. Right now, in total, those two kinds of construction methods represent only 3% of single family housing starts. And here's a shocking number. I still don't quite believe it, but if, you know, you look at the data in the late 90s, it was 7% 
of single family home building. So that share has fallen in half. So the idea that that particular subpart of the market has expanded recently is just not borne out by the data. And so there's a lot of discussion about 3D printing or, or different kinds of using concrete or things like that. Yes, I think those, those things will expand. I think we have to take a bit of a grain of salt with them. They will come slowly. But that 3% compared to, say, more than 20 years ago, 7% market share indicates there is room to grow. It just it, It's a slow change. The investment will come. Uh, but I think you, know, you have to include cultural changes as well in terms of recruitment and training of workers. So as we discuss some of these changes, I want to switch gears and discuss market projections, uh, given some of the data previously discussed and some of the information that you've all provided. How do you think the home building market will behave for the rest of 2021 going into 2022? Yeah, so our, our forecast right now at NAHB is we're expecting to end the year a little bit higher than 1.1 million single family starts. That would represent about a, a, t- a 10% growth rate over the 2020 total, which is affected by the spring of 2020, of course, when we had a dip. And then we see the growth rate slowing as we get into the years following, particularly as we move it further into 2023, given the expectation of rising interest rates and and the the home price growth that we've seen. Multifamily, multifamily is doing great right now. We actually have got a really strong rebound in terms of apartment construction. And then when it comes to the third leg of the the, the housing sector, the remodeling industry, really uh, outstanding growth last year. We're actually expecting about a 12% growth rate in remodeling this year with, again, additional slowing. I think the general trend in the forecast right now is we're exiting the unsustainably strong rebound growth rates that we had, particularly at the end of last year. And now we're kind of cooling back to the sustainable long-run growth uh, trend that's been in place since the end of the Great Recession. Yeah, we see demand is is pretty high. Um, I agree with Robert, though it's gonna it's gonna settle down and cool down. Um, but there's it's still a strong demand, and all the builders and the manufacturers in this business have a have a should have a good outlook for uh, continuing to to build a lot of product. So. Yeah, the, what is it? The the August MBA uh, mortgage finance forecast had a twenty two percent decline in refinances from Q one to Q two of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they in there they also you know announced that they're expected to see an additional seventy seven percent drop in refinance activity before the end of the year. Wow! And you know that's that's significant, but it's also you know very promising. You know we we yeah. went through this long period of time where you know the, the the finance industry was really focused on you know whether it was PPP lending, but primarily you know uh, refinances, you know which which needed to happen and played a great role uh, during the pandemic. But as that volume decreases and uh, you know they look to to fill that volume and uh, you know make up for that lost revenue that they're going to see in, in overall originations dropping. You know, that gives an opportunity for more products to be focused on like construction, the perm and, you know, different renovation financing op- options. So there's a lot of hope in that uh, in that information as well. So, you know, o- overall, you know, we think the attention will, will start to shift as refi volumes, you know, start to dip. So you guys are giving me your projections. And based on these projections, I have a, a, a complex question. Um, I'm hoping you guys can answer this. But in your perspective, how does the rest of the housing ecosystem work with home building and what will buyers be looking for in new construction and in the years to come? What, what are we going to be interested in? What we've seen in our, our preference surveys of buyers is they're looking for more space. So I think that's going to be the driving factor, whether it's on the rental market, the for sale market, the entry level market. 
And as we were we were having kind of a conversation before we got started, you know, for the the frustrated millennial buyer who's saying, okay, that's great, the home building sector is not providing the additional mm-hmm. inventory that's badly needed. Yeah, you're going to have to be more strategic and more patient. And so that may mean in some cases buying an existing home and working with a remodeler. So one of the the key uh, items for the housing industry in general is for the people in the finance sector, for for realtors, for builders and remodelers to work together and recognize that we have to work together in order to overcome the existing uh, inventory shortage that we have in place. I think I mentioned earlier, one of the most underutilized products uh, and 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 uh, opportunities out there is the home style and 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 home ready and those products that are in the GSEs and people do just are not aware that they can do them. They're not aware that they can simultaneously purchase a home and renovate at the same time. They're concerned about the fact that they use all their money on the down payment uh, and they have no money left to do the renovations. When in fact, this program will allow you to add the renovation costs to the purchase price of your home, appraise the home based on the future value after renovations and finance in those renovations. It's a, it's a highly kept secret uh, and, and uh, realtors and, and remodelers and, and builders and, and, and just borrowers. We all got to get together. We got to educate everybody that it's available and, and make them aware. Yeah, to add to what to Doug's saying is, you know, there's a big education gap out there, whether it's in the real estate community in general, um, you know, buying and selling, or if it's in the, the finance industry, you, there, there's an education level of these, these programs are, are there today. You know, they provide lots of opportunities to help people get into the home that they're looking for. But as we start to look, um, you know, kind of in, into the future and what that will look like, I think that's you know, there's this, uh, the, the, the customer experience, you know, whether you're a home builder and you're looking to improve on that or you're providing finance or you're selling the home. But I think it's that that laser focus on the customer experience is going to play a vital role, you know, as we move forward and removing the friction points and barriers to entry to those those uh, opportunities is, you know, is essential moving forward. And as we start to think of what it looks like years to come, you know, my mind always gravitates to, you know, how easy is it to buy a home? How easy is it for me to get into the home that I want? Not the one that's in front of me right here for sale for, uh, you know, around the corner on the block, you know, but what is it that can help me get my home? You know, the, the paint that I want, the kitchen that I want and, and get to that point. Because I think focusing on that customer experience and, and removing those barriers is just essential in, uh, in what we have in store. Right. So on that note, um, before we wrap today, I wanted to know if you guys had any other insight on anything relating to home building, whether it be the job market, housing affordability, or policy. Is there anything that a consumer or uh, industry professional should be aware of right now? We're, we're watching the, the single-family built-for-rent sector. Um, it's, it's getting a lot of attention, sometimes a little bit of exaggerated attention as, as a lot of things that change in, in marketplaces. But we think right now, uh, you know, roughly 6 to 7% of single-family starts are built for rental purposes. So not everyone can afford to buy a home. Uh, that is an option. Uh, but let's keep in mind, it's a pretty small part of the home-building sector right now. Uh, the dominant form of, of new construction is built for sale. Yeah, I'm excited for everything on the new construction side, but I think there's just amazing opportunity in, in renovation. You know, when you look at the average age of a home today is over 40 years, you know, over 40 years. What's the, 
the re, uh, remaining economic life of a brand new home is what default set to 30 years is what you always see. But the average age of a U.S. home is sitting at 40 years. And, you know, we really haven't talked about, you know, the number of homes that are coming out of our inventory every year, you know, be it natural disaster or climate change or, uh, you know, just reaching its economic life, the end of its economic life. But there's huge opportunity to work and recycle what we have to keep those homes in that inventory and also provide opportunities, be it to, you know, first time home buyers or millennials that are entering the market. I think that, you know, when we think about renovation and the ability to, 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 to create change through those, those vehicles are uh, just an amazing level of opportunity. So I'm, I'm really focused on, on renovation. And I think there's a lot out there that, that can be done in that sector. I think Sean said it well. I, I I won't add anything to it because I've brought it up several times. Renovation is is a real key. Yes. All right. So before we wrap today, um, I'd like to highlight um, a Leon in our audience wants to know the program that you were talking about, Douglas. Yeah. So there's there's a uh, there's three at least three pro renovation programs. Uh, uh, Fannie Mae has a home style program. Uh, they go all the way to ninety seven percent loan to value for a first time home buyer. Um, FHA has a two hundred three k program. Uh, a lot of lenders don't offer it. Some do for the FHA buyers. And Freddie Mac also has a program, but I, uh, uh, off the top of my head, I don't know the name of it. Very similar to the Fannie Mae program. So you just need to ask your lender if they offer renovation lending. And if they do, they'll offer probably both or all of those programs. So. Check with your local housing finance agency. They may, they may have programs too. Oh, good job. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today on this special discussion on home building. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. Of course. Audience, I hope you enjoyed our conversation and you join us next time for another Lunch and Learn. Thank you. Thank you. On September 27th and 28th at the Omni Hotel in Frisco, Texas, Housing Wire will host its second annual event, which will be in person for the first time. Housing Wire Annual offers each guest the opportunity to gather with top industry professionals for exclusive content, technology demonstrations, and unbeatable networking. Find out more by going to the events tab on the Housing Wire site. You won't want to miss out on this event, so register by September 20th. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.